to Not Tyler Perry's Writer's Room. I'm Crystal. And I'm Ashley. So kick off your shoes, relax your feet, and let's get into it. Hey, girl. Hey, what's up, Ashley? What's up, Crystal? How you doing? I'm great. A little sad today. Took my brother to the airport yesterday. He's back in Nashville. I feel like my kitchen and house have been the cleanest since he's been there because he's OCD about cleanliness. But super happy to spend some time with him. Oh, well, I'm hoping he goes back home and he writes some hits, you know? Yes. That's what he's doing in Nashville, ain't it? Me too. Yeah. We actually talked about him starting a management company. So I was like, are you still going to be creating music? And he was like, oh, that'll never stop. So come on. Shout out to Jordan Holland. Music is Jordan on Instagram. Love you, bro. Mm -hmm, Because that's how you plug your brother. I don't have a brother to plug. (laughs) So, but love you, Jordan. And I'm glad that you came and got to spend time with your sister. And um, I'm expecting greatness out of you. So that part, he can blow. He got that voice. What's going on with you? (sighs) Nothing much. I mean, that's not a bad thing, girl. I got like white girl wasted on Friday. Turned um, up. Yes, I have not been that lit since I was like 24. And now I remember why I never do that. So um, don't try that at home. Like if you live in California and you like to partake in the um, tree, don't also combine it with tons of tequila on a 90 degree day. Yeah. That's a bad idea. It's not an advice crossfade. No, no. But I'm like, you know, it's one of those things where you're like, I'm glad I did it. And I'll never do it again. You still recovering or are you good now? I'm good now. Okay. I think. All right. I should own some stock in Gatorade and Pedialyte because I <laughs> bum rushed. Like, I'm just super paranoid. So I was like drinking like copious amounts of water and Gatorade and Pedialyte. And it was bad. And I was like, how did I do this like 15 years ago? Like, how was I just out here living my life? Drinking all day and like sleeping two hours and then getting up and going to class or like going to work. Because it took me out for two days, y'all. Like That's the thing. That's like partying in your 30s. Recovery is slow. Oh, Lord. Don't try it at home, y'all. I'm just telling y'all. But that's how I've been. Things have been good. Um, um, I'm excited that Lovecraft is kind of winding down because it's been a roller coaster, y'all. Yes, a roller coaster of emotions. Yes. Although I got mad love for the show. Yes. What's going on in the land of black entertainment? Well, I got a text from a nephew son this weekend about a movie that he has advised I must check out because it was good. And he shed a couple thug tears called Charm City Kings. Mm -hmm. This is uh, Meek Mills in this joint. So let me find out. It's a 2020 American drama directed by Angel Manuel Soto from the screenplay by Sherman Payne. And this is a film adaptation of the documentary 12 O'Clock Boys by a little dirt bike club. Oh, in Baltimore. Yeah. Yeah, I might have to see that. Now, I don't know because people have been recommending stuff to me. And every time y'all recommend something, the shit is not my cup of tea. So somebody recommended I start Greenleaf. Don't know why I did that. Girl, Um, come on. That's mega church truth. It's shot beautifully, though. It is. And Lynn Whitfield does her damn thing. Come on, May. But everything else, I just be like, what? I like what Green in Leaf, the y'all. Tyler Perry is going on? <laughs> <laughs> so that, and then somebody recommended the Bronx versus vampires or vampires versus the Bronx, which was really cute. It had a really cute premise, 
but the execution was not so good. There was some really, really funny moments in the last five minutes that involved a wheat Timbaland boot. I'm not going to tell y'all what happened, but that was probably the funniest that the movie was in the last five minutes. So I said all that to say that I don't really trust when people be like, oh my gosh, you must watch this. This is so good. I just, I just, I don't know, but I'm gonna keep giving it a try because black, like I'm gonna watch black shit. It could be horrible and I'm gonna watch it and I'm gonna talk shit about it. But I'm still watching. That movie The Weeknd I was telling you about. (sighs) See, that's another one that was not good. We're not going to labor that point, though. But we did want to mention, for all of y'all who are listening, please like, review, subscribe, so you get notifications when we drop new episodes. You can like right now. Yes, please like right now. Please review right now. You can also reach out to us via email if you you know want to have like a little listener letter situation. We haven't decided if we're going to... Come on, advice call. You know what I mean? We might... Oh, my God, girl. Like, my man said, what should I do? Like, I'm here. I got you, sis. I don't know shit about my own life, but I can definitely help you with yours because that's why I go to therapy once a week so I can help everybody else. Love it. Hit us up on boldblackmoves at gmail.com. Again, boldblackmoves at gmail.com. So we're about to get into this recap of Lovecraft Country episode nine, the episode before the finale. The penultimate, as they call it. Come on now. Also known as Next to Last. And this was titled Read Wine 1921. We know what this is about. They're going back to Tulsa 1921. It's definitely what I've been asking for. But once I got it, I was like, I don't know if I really needed it. I know. Just like black folks. We demand something to be like, wait a minute. This too much. Too much. We weren't ready. We still ain't got over the loss of Uncle Daddy George. You can't keep throwing shit like this at us. Speaking of Uncle Daddy George, the show opens at Uncle Daddy George's or Hippolytus. It's Letty, Tick, and Montrose and Ruby, and they're all arguing over whose fault it is that Dee is in a coma. Cursed. Her left arm is all twisted and shriveled, and it looks like a tree branch. And this is just a lot to see little Dee lying there. So now we know that when she was attacked by Bopsy and Topsy, is that the name? Topsy yes, and Bopsy. Ma'am. This is the result. She's in a coma. And it looks like, although we're expecting her to die, that it's like a slow death. This is so rude. Whatever spell Captain Lancaster put on her. And and they're arguing and Ruby is like, it's all y'all fault. And I'm like, first of all, where were you, sis? Hello. You need to include yourself. It is our fault. Thank you. You was up there laid up with William, Christina, whomever. So Tick suggests that they call Christina to help. He's like, we need somebody who's more experienced in magic to help us lift this curse. And Letty and Montrose are like, no, we can't trust her. Don't come calling her over here. Granted, true. Tick is willing to trade Titus's pages for her help with D, except Letty already gave them to Christina last episode. Yo, her face when he said that, she's like, I guess I should let him know about that, huh? Listen, she didn't have, she'd be all up in arms talking about he keeps stuff from her, but like she keeping the fact that she pregnant and that she met with Christina. Pot kettle. Thank you. Like Montrose is not having it. Letty is like, oops, I kind of have to tell you that I gave that to her already. And Montrose is about to jump down her throat. Like, so you only care about your own ass? Like that's what you did? You went to save your own ass? 
Ruby steps in and defends her sister. She almost discloses. She had to do it because she's. And then Letty stops her. This is like the biggest non-secret. Like, okay. Everybody know Letty pregnant, but Letty don't know everybody knows she pregnant. But how do you not know by now, Letty? Thank you. This is like, again, (laughs) and this is so black. It's like, you should just assume that if something happened to you, everybody in your family knows. Basically. Somebody's grandma or auntie done already gave the Thank tea. you. It's usually your mama and or a cousin talking about, girl, did you hear? So I don't know why Letty seems to think that nobody can tell that she's pregnant. But now they realize they don't have any leverage. Well, Ruby seems to think that they still have some leverage. Her goodies. Her goodies. Her goodies, not her goodies. She thinks that she got a leg up. She like, wait a minute. I sleep with the woman slash dead man. And (laughs) I think I can convince her to help us. And also, she's a really generous woman. Like, she'll help us. She's nice. She's a well-intentioned white woman. The next thing we see is Christina has been summoned. And she's looking at Dee's drawing. So remember, Dee started scribbling Topsy and Bopsy and... Everything that happened. So she actually drew pictures of encountering Captain Lancaster and all these things in the curse. Christina's actually able to look at these drawings and decipher what type of curse Captain Lancaster placed on D. Come on, D. Come on, D. Talk about talented, gifted. You Young, done. gifted, and black. Okay. Hello. She very well made on the path to saving herself and didn't even really know that this could be this helpful. Yes. And I think this is so powerful, too, because it's about controlling your narrative, right? Like she took control over the story that was going to be told. And she wanted to make sure that the story was told correctly, because we know like if she would have slipped into a coma, they would have just been guessing. Absolutely. You know, so I think this is beautiful. Even in her time of like turmoil, she was able to stand up and use her power the best way she knew how, which was drawing. And I love the fact that she didn't allow herself to be silenced. He slipped up and told her what the spell was supposed to do. And she's like, I might not be able to talk about it, but I can let some people know. I I will not be silenced. Thank you. All I need is a pencil and some paper. So Christina figures out that Captain Lancaster used a combination of spells that comes from Horatio's pages and Titus's pages. And she can't remove it without the book of names. And I'm like, really? Oh, I think you lying. I'm like, if he can cast it without it, why can't it be uncast without it? Yes, I think it's a ploy to get the book of names. But anyhow, she says that the spell was also sealed with Captain Lancaster's body. Therefore, he's the only one that can remove it. And Ruby and Letty are like, um, he's dead. Yeah, and I was thinking, but is he really? We never really saw if he died. We just know that Pet Shogun attacked him. And this was making me wonder if this is kind of how the writers were trying to work in revisiting what happened at the end. Because I'm like, Letty was just in the paper for being a pioneer for breaking color lines. We didn't want to put in the paper that her whole house got shot up or that they killed a whole precinct of police. Yeah. Um, So this was interesting to me. That was very interesting. Christina says that she can, however, perform some kind of restoration reset where she can take them back in time to when the spell was first cast. So that'll give them a little time to find the book of names to remove it. But this is conditional. She's going to need something in return. And what she needs in return is she needs Tick to willingly go to Artem with her the night of the autumnal equinox. And we all know that Tick has went into the future and seen that this is when he dies, that she's utilizing him. 
and he's going to die. So I'm like, here she go again with this conditional shit. Like, Ruby, does this prove to you that she doesn't just do things out the kindness of her heart? Right. She always has a plan. There's always some some intention in what she does. Always. And she also lets them know that because Dee was born and raised at this house, birthplaces are heightened for spell casting. And I thought that was very interesting because I know a lot of black folks and a lot of ATRs, ADRs and who do also believe that like your birthplace is a very important place. It's a place of power. So they are in a place of power. And she tells them that she's going to need them to draw some protection symbols all around the home. And she's also going to need them to get D's fever down so that her body temperature is as, as close to normal as possible. I guess this is what's needed for her to do her spell. And while I do all of that, she just has to run an errand. And I'm like, so you just going to dip? Yeah, that to me proved that it really wasn't that important to her. Yeah. She also says that they are going to need the blood of her closest relative to substitute for Captain Lancaster's body. And everybody's like, that's Hippolyta and her mama ain't here. So who's next in line? Yep. Montrose, right? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. And so then we see the title scene and I couldn't make out anything this time except for the icon of a book, which I assumed was the book of names. Yes. The back actually looked like flames to me. Just a bunch of flames. So oh, okay. I figured that. we were definitely going back to the massacre for sure at that point. That makes a lot of sense. I just was like, I don't know what this is. <laughs> the title scene, some of them are like really easy to figure out for me. And others are like whole as like, what is like an eye exam? I'm like, what am I supposed <laughs> to be seeing? Third row, right to left. Right. It's like trying to find Waldo. I'm like, where is he? <laughs> So now we go back and we're at Captain Lancaster's office and you can hear him grimacing and screaming in pain. His nipples are shot off. There's blood spurring out of them. And his little goonies and peons are talking about how they've tried to cast a spell to rejuvenate him from the Shogun attack. But it ain't working. Like they're like, we nailed it perfectly. And then William strolls in suited and booted. Listen, long as I got my suit and tie. Listen, he was looking good. William looks good. I actually missed him. William is looking real, real Yummy. And I know he's dead. So this is just weird, but I'm still attracted to him. <laughs> Hello, somebody. And I love how he walks in here. Really uh, instigating. Looks like the cop with nine lives, their lives have run out. I was like, ooh, mm-hmm. is that what this is about? So he tells him the wound that he has is going to keep coming back no matter how many times they try to swap out spare parts and so now we find out why he has the torso of a black man we also see body parts on the table so what they've been doing is they go kidnap black folks and this is a continuation of episode three or so yeah how black folks will come up missing and nobody's looking for them and so he's been using black folks body parts to rejuvenate himself so he's literally a frankenstein they like so parts on him whenever he you know gets something shot off because he's doing some shit he don't have no business doing and they're all shocked to see william because they killed him they're like wait a minute we physically killed you but captain lancaster knows that this is christina because he knows this is her game he's kind of begging her for mercy william tells him that regeneration can be a spell or a curse And then he pulls out that rock that he gave Ruby to plant in his office. And so we find out that this 
is a curse. Because remember in the last episode, Christina had Tick draw that symbol and said it was a protection symbol. Yeah. And I was like, but if it's a protection symbol, why did she give it to Captain Lancaster? Well, now we find out that there's much more to it than just the symbol. It. I don't know if it's also intent, but William is telling us that it can be a spell or a curse depending on how you use it. And so that rock placed there was placed there as a curse. Interesting. It, and then William bends down and having this moment with Captain Lancaster, just torturing him, which he deserves and telling him that every time Christina turns back into herself, William dies all over again. And he wants Captain Lancaster to die a thousand deaths. But it looks like today is his day. He's just going to see one. Ready to meet your maker. Listen, I'm ready to see him go. This man is like the lowest scum of the earth. Yeah. I don't like him at all. No. I haven't liked him since the back of the paddy wagon ride. Bye, ugly. And so he dies. (laughs) So now we're back at Uncle Daddy George's garage. And we see Montrose is down there all alone. And he has this like mason jar full of some clear liquid. And I'm like, "Mm, that's not water. Definitely moonshine. Yep. I was like, well, that's some rock good. Rock good. That's some stuff that'll burn the lining of your intestines. And this is interesting because he's been clean and sober the last few episodes. And we can tell because he's been like really intentional. He's been uh, being aware. He's been apologizing. He's been making amends. He's been kind of just being all that he can be. But now he's thinking about taking a sip and who comes and catches him except for Tick. Tick making sure he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. <laughs> he was supposed to be looking for a chalk. He like, come on, dad. Like for real? <laughs> and Montrose expresses here that he wishes he could go back in time and take the bullet for George instead. He's feeling guilty and, and survivor's remorse is what I kind of was thinking about here. And Tick reassures him stating that you have been helpful. You help cast the spell. You're, you're using your blood to save D and Montrose in Montrose's unique fashion decides to slip out the next secret, which is, well, George might actually be your daddy. It might not be me. And I'm thinking to myself, who writes these parts where Montrose tells secrets like right now? I get we do need to know who the next relative is, but we was just sitting on the curb a day a week ago. You didn't want to talk about this then? You could have told me then. And we just, and I'm just, you talking about you guilty. You could have done more. And I'm like, nah, Pops, you did all you can do. And now you take this as an opportunity to tell me this. Cause you know, I'm a, like, you know, Tick going to change his colors. Like he's not going to fuck with you. Um, But I just think he's, he deals with so much that he's, he was never taught when when and how to have appropriate conversations obviously and yeah and these demons come up and i think also he doesn't trust himself he knows that he's going to probably start drinking he would rather say something while he's sober than say something because it seems like when he drinks he gets irate he gets very angry he might have said it in a a way that would have been way more damaging. I don't know, but you're right. And it's like, bro, this was not the time. Or also, could you like wrote me a little note or something? I don't know. Anything other than this right now. It's always something high pressure. And Tick, as usual, is just confused. He's just like, there are so many pieces to this puzzle. I just found out my daddy was gay. I just found out that like my daddy might not be my daddy. I, this is a lot. Like he was just like, you cheated. My mama cheated on you. So first, last week, he was like, you cheated on my mama. Now he's like, my mama cheated on you. Tick is really like, what kind of relationship 
did y'all have? Because y'all was just sleeping with other people left and right. Exactly. And he big mad. And then he begins to say, all those times when you was whooping my ass and I came down here and I wished Uncle George was my daddy. So he's bringing out the vitriol now. And you could tell that it hurt Montrose to his core. Like he was just trying to be honest and tick took it way below the belt. I was kind of with Tick, though. Like, I could imagine that he had been wishing Uncle Daddy George was his daddy for real. Especially now. And you could have told me when he got shot. Anything between right this second. Yeah. But this is this is how these secrets exist in black families. We, like, sweep things under the rug and we go, well, but now's not the time. Or even last episode with D. Well, she not old enough. She not yep. prepared. Like, it's always this when. When is the right time? Now is the right time. You got something to tell somebody, tell them now. I mean, as long as you're not driving in a vehicle or like operating heavy machinery or like have a knife in your hand or something like that or yeah. have a knife nearby, depending on who you're speaking to. <laughs> and what you're speaking about. Yes. Make sure you're in a safe space, but then just tell it. Just tell it. So Letty comes in, of course, because she always interrupting. Anytime Tick and his daddy having some heart to heart, Letty's ass just seemed to be creeping around the corner. I didn't mean to overhear that. Why are you always here, sis? I know the way she came in, you like, you was listening. You was listening. You didn't just walk over. You here. and your first trimester, don't you have to pee again? <laughs> so she tells him that Christina is back. And they got Dee's fever under control. And as soon as she said that, Hippolyta roll in, like, what? She rolled in like she had just went to the store, like she ain't been gone a whole last week. She was like, what's wrong with D? Is D sick? Ma'am, where have you been? <laughs> right. But she's asking the right questions. How's my baby? And so we get back upstairs and we see this scene. Lord, I don't know why y'all let me. Y'all need to put alerts, like caution. I know this is like horror, but y'all need to let me know when a, a really scary part is coming. <laughs> we get back upstairs and Deed in turn full topsy-bopsy. Like her face looks like one of them. Yes. Scared the shit she out of me. She became a triplet. It scared me too. I'm like, is this what death looks like? Oh, Ooh. Jesus. Well, they get together so that they can channel all their energy. They're holding hands. And Christina starts to speak the spell over her. And then we see what looks like in sequence, the reverse of the events happening. And we also see those disgusting maggots and flies again flying out of her arm. And it looks like what used to look like a tree branch. She now restores D back to her normal self. Thank goodness. Yes. I was confused about this though, because I'm like, if while Christina is, recanting the spell if the events are happening in reverse can't she then decipher what the what was actually said and then just reverse it that's a good question maybe her skills aren't as good as she thinks they are i have no idea but like who was seeing that besides us somebody besides the audience was seeing mm -hmm. the events yeah. right so that was concerning to me I also thought, oh, this is so black. They're doing a prayer circle. Basically. Like they all held hands and <laughs> they was casting casting the devil out. And I just was like, okay, I, I've seen this done before. Christina did her job and Ruby is running to leave with Christina and Letty runs up to her. Girl, you cannot go with her. We can't trust her. And Ruby is like, what do you mean we can't trust her? Didn't she just save D? And also, since you're talking about trust, we can't trust Tick. While we at it, you too much like our mama. You too too worried and too busy chasing after this man. And I'm like, okay, pot and kettle. She chasing after her man because she pregnant and you chasing after this woman. So 
what y'all both like y'all mama yeah ruby is getting a little too big for her britches here for me i definitely didn't like her tone and she almost came off manipulative just reminding her like well in everything i have seen christina hasn't done anything to actually harm us it's like but she's considering harming the people that we care about thank you how was that not synonymous or the same so i don't know if she's thinking a little too highly of herself because she could take potions and she hangs out with white people on the north side mm-hmm. but i think she needs to pipe down she needs to pipe down and i'm with you on that i'm like okay so she hasn't tried to harm you directly but she's indirectly harming the people around you and so at the very least she's complicit in their harm hello so what makes you think that you're different and this is to me it's like some people require so much evidence to prove what they already see it reminds me the whole like meg the stallion tory situation where like meg literally had to go on facebook live and be like y'all don't believe that i got shot here's the wound it's like what else do you need to know process of elimination we have enough information to know that it was three people in the vehicle one of them got shot and the other one was the best friend who 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 shot you right but a lot of niggas is like well i don't know like i need to hear his side of the story because like it's two sides to every story bitch is one side and that's how I feel. Ruby is just like so blind that she's not seeing. And she doesn't realize that she's been given half ass information from Christina. She thinks she's in the know because Christina then told her about Artem and all the kind of stuff. But I'm like, where's your source of information? You're only getting what she told you. Like what? And there's nothing similar about the stories that Letty is sharing with her about her experiences. So you know if they're vastly different and you probably can trust your sister more than you could definitely trust Christina, that Christina is probably telling her side of the story from her perspective and how it's going to be of benefit to her. Exactly. And at the end of the day, I'm like, you can feel however you feel about your sister, but I'm trusting my, like I'm trusting my sister above some random white chick. Oh, I'm going with her all the way. Hello. She most likely lying and I'm rolling with it. Well, she said it was true. I'm a supporter in public. Listen, I'll beat her up in private. Thank Let's you. Let's go. And so now Ruby wants Lady to come with. She was like, you need to be coming with me and Christina. No, ma'am. No, thank you. And that's exactly what Lady says. No, ma'am. No, Pam. And so they hop in the car and I'm like, now look at you, ho. You driving Miss Daisy? Like you ain't no better now. You driving this broad Bentley. You ain't riding in the back seat with her. You driving her around. And Letty also mentions, like, has she told you about her plans for the autumnal equinox? Mm, Because you think she told you everything, but leaving stuff out is not being honest. Do you know she plan on using my man and killing him? Mm. Ruby is just like, and that's your man. Well, could it be because of something Christina have said? Mm. Conniving little bitch. I don't want to talk about her no more. No. So now we see Titi Hippolyta. She is packing D up in the back of Woody. I mean, she packed her baby up nice and tight. She got blankets, all kinds of stuff. And she is on a mission. She said she's going to take her to the observatory in Kentucky. Small note. Remember when we were talking about when they went to the observatory, we were saying Captain Lancaster said that he was going to circumvent, um, the security at the observatory, which was in Kentucky. And right. he was going to like send uh, Christina on a wild goose chase. Yes. But then when we saw Hippolyta drive to the observatory a few episodes ago, the map Kansas. said Kansas. Yeah. So Misha Green actually said on Twitter that that was an oversight. It was oh. supposed to say Kentucky. 
It the, was. Yes. Okay. So I we were this, not this wrong. time and was like, I don't understand why they going to Kentucky this time when they was in Kansas <laughs> last time. Is it two different observatories? Listen. Help me. Somebody in the prop department or whatever just got their uh K state abbreviations, you know, a little mixed up. Kansas, you know it's a S in Kentucky. Look, somebody okay. on the script wrote K Y and they said, Oh, K S? Cool. Um <laughs> They like what you need lube for? No, like <laughs> right, you know. So like, so I thought that was interesting because I know we've been driving ourselves crazy. I'm like, wait a minute. He said they were going to observatory, but then this was Kansas. Okay. Yes. So cleared that up. So thank you, Misha, for clearing that up. So Hippolyta was saying she was asking, what's the source of the magic that is needed to get D back to being D? And they told her it's the book of names. And Tick explains that that was burned in his mama's house during the Tulsa massacre. I also like how they are calling this the massacre and not riots. Because it was a massacre. Thank you. And this is probably because it's told from the perspective of black people. Thank you. Ain't it something when we tell our stories, we tell it right? Mm. So Hippolyta is like, okay, that ain't no problem. I can I can fix the multiverse machine. Because Tick is like, but the machine is broke. She's like, baby. He's like, first of all, he's like, it's a time machine. She's like, get it right. It's a multiverse machine. One. Two, I can fix it in four hours tops. They're like, but you don't have the key because we gave the key. She's like, I don't need the key. I don't need no key. She has some like technology thing that looks like a thumb drive. Bruh, did you see her pick up a book and skim like five pages and take in all of the knowledge in 30 seconds? I did not see that. You talk about a badass woman. Listen, I said, if this ain't the depiction of like black woman is God, I don't know what it is. Black woman is God. So she tells them that she's going to send them back in time to Tulsa to get the book of names from from Doris house. Montrose is like, girl, you talking crazy talk now, which is hilarious to me because out of all the things that happened that this would be like so crazy. <laughs> right. And she looks at him like, sir, I was on Earth 504. I was there equivalent to 200 Earth years. And I saw infinite possibilities. And with that came infinite wisdom. And she said she going to use all those possibilities and all that wisdom to save her baby. Listen. And then she says, now get in the fucking car. Because I am a mama. And the first thing I got to do is take care of my child. Listen, if you rolling, let's go. If now, not, bye. Now, she ain't said nothing about my bad. I was gone for an extended amount of time. Like, she ain't said That's nothing. not the important moment, like, right now. We got to save D. I can apologize when D is awake. Because she popped up like, what's going on here? Sick. Hey. <laughs> oh, my God. What's wrong with my baby? Did y'all try giving her the tussin? Ma'am. <laughs> this going to require more than tussin and some walking sab and some big six, 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 six. Right. Listen. Now we're in Christina's basement. Christina goes down there and she's like making notes or something. She goes to put something in a safe. And Ruby is down there sitting next to William and Dale's dead bodies or cadavers. Yes. And Ruby asks about Dale. Like, who was she? Why? Why does Dale matter? Girl, because Ruby would be concerned about the wrong goddamn things at all the time. And so Christina's like, oh, she was a groundskeeper at Artem, which was my dad's summer house. And Ruby's like, how did she get into a coma? And she's like, oh, lady killed her with a shovel. I'm like, here you go with your half truths. Did you tell her why she bopped her ass with a shovel? Right. So Ruby's like, are you only helping D to get to Atticus? Duh. You just now figuring that out? <laughs> Come on now. Ruby, you smarter than that. Maybe this is why you were only going to work at Marshall Fields. Because I just don't know oh. why you're not putting two That two was together. no shade, right? 
It was a lot of shade. Oh, dang. Yo, Ruby I got is beautiful as hell, but I'm just like, girl, is there anything up there? <sighs> anything. So she's like, don't hustle me. My mama was a hustler. I was your plan B, wasn't I? You're not reading the signs, Ruby. You're not reading the signs. Listen, Christina came back for that ass. I hate a white woman with a retort. Like, just shut up. She came back real fast. <laughs> like, first of all, I'm not your mama or your sister. And she right. She right, but also like, bitch, who are you to talk I'm, about I'm, my mom and my sister? I'm with you. I'm with you. Because you know how we feel. Can't nobody talk about my mom and my sister but, but me. Ruby opened that door, though. Ruby opened a, Ruby opened a lot of doors up in that house. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. That is the problem. So Ruby's like, are you planning on killing Tick? And Christina's like, essentially, yes. I need all of his blood as a component for this spell to work. And this doesn't make sense to me because if you have the science and the magic to figure out how to keep William and Dale's bodies on ice and to use their blood for these potions, if you figure out a way to not have to use all of their blood, couldn't you figure out a way to not have to use all of Tick's blood? Couldn't you like, okay, I need to extract these red blood cells and make it concentrated or whatever. But that just goes to show me that she doesn't give a fuck. At all. I think she has enough magic and enough intelligence and knowledge at her disposal to figure out a way. And she just doesn't care. They're like, they're collateral damage to her. That's how I see it. Yeah. So then what does she tell Ruby? What lies does she tell Ruby now? <laughs> Christina wants to use all of this power that she's going to get from this immortality that she's seeking to experience life. She wants to experience this life of first, primarily because she feels like when her father and his lodge mates communicated about this magic and the access that they had, that they talked about it as if it was just money or politics and regular stuff. Like it was something really exclusive. And she wants to experience that same high. Mm-hmm. And I think Ruby's intrigued by that because instead of her being like, bitch, you crazy, I don't want no parts of that. She's like, well, just promise me that you're not going to hurt my sister. Yes. Because she gave her a little game. She said something about how everything was meticulously planned, even down to meeting Tick and how all this was just like falling in order. But one thing that was not planned was Ruby. Mm -hmm. and she wants to like experience this life and she kind of alludes to the fact that she wants to experience everything multiple times over with her like i want to experience it with you and ruby's dumbass is like oh okay just don't hurt my sister girl so then ruby says something about when she dreamt of being white she always wanted to be a redhead this could have been a deleted line yeah unless <laughs> it's showing us that like ruby is like okay i want another host like, now I'm fully on board with being a white woman. I just don't want to be this bitch. I don't know. Ooh. Yeah. I know. No, Ruby, don't. No, don't, baby girl. No. Shit. Run, ho. What else do you need to know? Run, ho. What do you need to know? Run, ho. What do you need to know? <laughs> <laughs> I just can't. Ruby is Man. so beautiful, but she just so she's so conflicted. Baby girl, I just hope. When all this wraps up, she ends up being down for her sister. Right now, I feel like her alliance is with Christina. Yeah, that's exactly what it looks like. So now we're back in Kentucky. We're at the observatory. Montrose is outside and he's falling off the wagon. He full-fledged back into his drinking again. And he's having flashbacks again 
He's getting whipped. He's being yelled at. And like his demons are back. And just the thought of him having to go back to Tulsa is triggering all of this trauma for him. I feel so bad for him. I just can't imagine the things that he's seen having to relive that. And it just reminds me that life will force you to deal with shit. You cannot outrun it. You can try to hide. You can try to repress it. You can stuff it down. You can drink yourself to death. But life will always bring those things back. And he's being forced to deal with all those things now in a very condensed amount of time. Yeah. This was triggering for me because I have a father who's died due to alcoholism. And I know that he drank to silence voices and those things. So it was I'm like, this shit is too real. Yes. Um. (laughs) Ditto. I felt the same. I was like, oh, my gosh, is this how? Because I remember my dad didn't die from alcoholism per se. He died from cancer. But my dad was a Vietnam vet and several other things. And I remember being a kid. My dad was not an angry drunk. My dad mm-hmm. was very much a an alcohol a functioning alcoholic, like get up, go to work, all of that. But when he would overdo it, he became the meanest man ever. Yeah. But outside of that, he was the sweetest guy. And I I started crying because I was thinking about all the days that my dad probably sat right here in this room alone drinking and crying and being angry and throwing shit because he didn't have or he didn't feel like he had outlets to express that and my heart just goes i just i keep saying this somebody get montrose some therapy please like this is a lot it is a lot but michael k williams you are acting your ass off thank you so much for the level of excellence you mm-hmm. bring to this role the nuance i mean like one minute you hate him right the next minute you feel sorry for him girl he's such a it's a it's partially michael and it's also the writers who like fully fleshed out this person yeah. he doesn't feel like a character he feels like you said he feels like my dad he feels like your dad he feels like a lot of uncles that you know that we've encountered and we know he feels so so real and i appreciate that because we find out that he's not really like a monster he's not a bad guy per se you know he's a guy who's experienced tons of trauma and has not figured out how to deal with that and unfortunately that's passed through generational absolutely yeah So we go inside and we see Hippolyta is repairing the circuit board. So like, okay, she knows physics. She knows astronomy. She knows advanced mathematics. Like she also is like a computer engineer. Computer science, yeah. So she's like trying to fix the, the circuit board and she's telling Tick how to help her. And she's telling him, connect this wire to this and just like braid it like I showed you how to braid these hair, like French braid it. And that was cute. I know. And it was just like, oh, my gosh, you could tell that Hippolyta was also like Uncle George was like a father to him. But also Hippolyta was like a, a mother. Right. In a lot of senses. Montrose and Letty are upstairs preening over D. I don't really know what they're doing. Like they tucking her in and stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> what are y'all doing? The girl's in coma. Right. So they over there having s- silent, secret ass conversations. Come on, conversations with no words. Just yes. Eye li- looks. And so Letty is trying to explain to Montrose the reason why she accepted the invulnerability from Christina. He interjects because he already knows that she's pregnant. And so does Tick. And he tells her that. And she's like, how did he know? Again, secrets. Tick went to the future and then he learned that he died. And she's like, well, if there are parallel universes, 
then there could be more than one outcome theoretically. Like he doesn't have to die. And I'm with her. Yes. And Montrose is like, first of all, we don't even know because my sister-in-law is on some shit. We don't even really know if what she's saying is true. But then he also guilts her by saying, you know, you handed over those pages to Christina may mean the death of my son. And there's no writing that wrong. And one day you'll know how that feels. And I'm like, ooh. It was a major guilt trip. It was definitely a risk. And I feel like they're both trying to be possessive of Tick. Like, mm. Tick is only Montrose's son. Or Tick is only her man and the father of her son. Yeah. Their son. And no, no, Tick is y'all's. Like, y'all both share him. So this one, the dialogue between them was interesting. Because, like, she's trying to justify and validate herself to him. Which is also unnecessary. You know what I mean? But also, it's like, a lot of this can be solved if y'all was actually talking to each other. Correct. You know? Like, come on. Can y'all have a... Everybody doesn't need to have a meeting and say, listen, this is what happened to me. This is what happened to me. Oh, shit, that happened to you too? They don't. They just doing all this whispering and shit. So all of a sudden, we hear this electronic whirling, and we see that the machine is up and working again. And then Hippolyta, like, bangs on it. Tika's like, it's working. She's like, fool. First of all, there's 60 plus trillion parallel universes. Girl. And in order for us to give this computer a specific location it needs a motherboard because again she's a computer scientist they're like a motherboard what's a motherboard and then she shows those transmitters that are in both of her wrists so she's the motherboard the black woman is the motherboard what do we say black woman is what god God. she's the mother and the board not to be confused with like the motherboard at church (laughs) The way she be wearing them hats, she yeah. should be on the motherboard. I think she board. on the motherboard too. So she jacks herself into the machine using those transmitters. Mm, and she mm, tells mm. Montrose she's going to need that picture that he keeps in his wallet. And we see it. It's a picture of him, George, and their father. She needs this to be able to triangulate to somewhere in Tulsa in that time. And he starts telling this story about how... Every year, his daddy would work hard to make sure they had a night out at the Stratford Hotel, which is this fancy thing. And he's telling this story. You can see he's going back in the past. Tick snatched that shit out and said, give me that. We don't have time for this shit. I just don't understand how they are not empathizing. I know they don't really get the gravity of like what really took place. But Tick knows for a fact that his mom lost her whole family that night. True. And he knows that his uncle, daddy, and daddy uncle were there and saw it and so at the very least there should be some like oh man they're gonna have to go and see this thing i was thinking it the whole time gosh to have to go back and relive this is crazy it's so crazy i like this scene because we see that not only is hippolyta the physical motherboard she's utilizing focus and intention Mm -hmm. to literally triangulate where they are going to go she is captaining this ship And we always suspected that Hippolyta was going to be the lighthouse that was going to guide them to where they needed to go. Here we get to see it. Hippolyta makes sure to tell them, please don't change anything, because when you change anything in the past, it's going to affect the future. And we're not sure how it's going to affect. She gets this portal open and it looks like the inside of a hotel. Letty and Tick jump in. No problem. Montrose hesitates. 
because he's having flashbacks again. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. we hear phrases like nigger faggots, somebody telling him to pick a switch. And I'm just like, imagine having to go back to the most terrifying, traumatic day of your life to relive it and be able to change it, but not able to change it because you're going to affect the present and the future. No wonder why he paused. I'm with Montrose. I'm like, listen, I love my niece, but we might have to find another way because I'm not willing to jump back into this shit. Man, oh man, that is the question. And I think that what she said was super important. You kind of had to have the mindset that although I know I can change something and I want to change something, I can't because of how it's going to impact this. Yeah. So for me, it kind of created some contrast with this dichotomy in my mind while I was watching it. Like that's the statement you give while this man is literally about to go back and relive everything he may want to change. Mm. Brother Montrose, my heart aches for him because I don't think I've lived through anything quite as traumatic, but I wouldn't want to. And I think... The natural inclination is when something traumatic has happened to you, you always question what would have happened if should have, would have, could have. And so you always think you want that opportunity. But I don't know if I actually want the opportunity to go back and change it. Right. Because then yeah. you have to actually relive it to change it. Exactly. Yeah. It's craziness. So now we're at the Stratford Hotel, which is in the Greenwood District, a.k.a. the Black District of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And it's June 1st, 1921. I actually looked this up because I didn't know enough about it. What I found was interesting about this particular hotel is it was the largest black owned, black operated and black guest only hotel in America. Thank you. Black, 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 black. only black. Love it. How y'all feel about that? Because y'all love putting some whites only on some shit. And it wasn't just black, black, blackity black because everybody just wanted shit to be black. It was like that because it had to be like that. Because you also couldn't take your black ass anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. So Montrose is looking out the window with like a picture. And we see Greenwood District, beautiful, wide streets, nice cars. We see black folk dressed to the nines. This is the 1920s, y'all. And they're living their best life Mm -hmm. amongst themselves. Tick overhears two girls talking about this canceled dance. He kind of opens the door and peeks out. And you could see Montrose feeling dazed and confused around all the turmoil. And this is just him reliving these moments. We get these bird's eye view of his past life. We find out that Booker T. Washington's prom is canceled due to these riots that are taking place. And we also know that Dora's family, entire family, basically burns down that night. But we don't really know in the context or how that happens. So because they look like they came from the 1950s, they decide to get some clothes from a bellhop's cart so they look a little more appropriate so that they can blend in. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you, they were looking good with the exception of Letty in these tennis shoes. Child. I said she couldn't find no heels. You know, you could ruin a whole outfit with some tennis shoes. But also the sneakers were out of context because they didn't have sneakers like that. Back exactly. Then. So I'm like, she could have grabbed a little heel or something. So the men had a whole outfits complete with shoes. Come on, vest and all. Also, shout out to the costume designer, Dana Pink. She shows her entire ass, this whole series. I mean, the tailoring, the dresses, the colors, everything just looks so good. I mean, they walking down the street. Letty, she has on like a little flapper dress. And it the, looks like the dress from the dream, too. It totally looks like the dress from her dream. The men have on three-piece suits. 
And I mean, they look sharp, sharp as a tack. Okay, casket sharp. They're walking down the street and we're seeing all of these iconic black businesses. I remember the Williams Dreamland Theater. There's a tailor and it's a booming business district. And they are devising a plan and saying that they're going to utilize Letty to go to Dora's house to distract the family while Montrose and Tick try to retrieve the book of names from Dora's house. Remember that story that Uncle Daddy George was telling Tick about how him and his brother were attacked and this stranger came out with a bat and helped him. He sees that park and he freezes because he's having a flashback of a truck full of racist white boys pulling up on him. Mm -hmm. He's frozen in fear. And Tick just assumes it's because he's been drinking. He like, God damn it. This is not the right time for you to be drinking. You can't do nothing right. And I'm like, Tick really been feeling himself this episode because he's been cussing at his daddy and all kind of shit. I'm like, sir, oh, you big man. Now you find out you got a son like you about to be a daddy. So you're going to talk to your daddy any kind of way. Interesting. I feel him. He has every right to be angry. I just don't think now is the time. Right. And Montrose is like, I don't only had a few sips, boy. Like I'm a professional drunk. I just had a little bit. I ain't I nobody drunk. And Tick. Let's him know. I just want to let you know. As soon as we get back home, I'm done with you. Letty, as usual, standing over there talking about, um, I'm going to just go stand over here, guys, in case y'all need me. <laughs> and he gets in Montrose's ass and it snaps Montrose back into reality. He needed that to remember who he was and what he was here to do. Exactly. So they walk to this shed across town that's in front of... Dora and the Freeman's house. It's so cute to discover that they were actually next door neighbors, not just like kids that grew up in the same neighborhood. It's like, oh, that the corner lot is theirs. And then we're the house on the left. Letty's about to leave so that she can work her distraction. And we see young Montrose getting his ass tore up. Dad yelling for him to get a switch and everything. He's got on a suit jacket, a hat. He looks so cute. Mm-hmm. Little corsage on his hair. He is beating him down. Mercilessly. Folks like, walking down the street ain't helping. By. Right. I'm like, this was the time when they minded their business. That's your house. That's your son. I'm going to let you discipline him the way you do. But what we find out is interesting in this scene is that the playback we've constantly been hearing from Montrose that we may have thought or imposed was him talking to Tick is actually Montrose's experience. This was his dad talking to him. Yes. Yes. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. And so while we're watching this, we also see Montrose is in the days he's telling them what happened. He's saying, hey, it was George's prom and Montrose wanted to wear his suit jacket. And his father thought, we didn't pay all his money for you to mess it up. And then he also was playing around with George's corsage and like probably tucked it behind his ear or something like that. And his daddy caught him and whooped his ass for basically being flamboyant or for being gay or for being anything feminine. feminine. Also, we noticed that George's daddy is Will Callette, who is gorgeous i mean i was trying not to like oh he fine so next thing we know dora comes running from next door and she stands in front of montrose to protect him and montrose's dad is like girl you better move for i get your ass too and dora's daddy come outside like uh verdon you do what you want to with your children but you don't touch my child all right and we now see that montrose and george's dad is extremely drunk Yes. 
And he walks over to George, who's been standing there the whole time watching his brother get his ass beat. Girl. And he tells him, at least I'm not the only man in the house. So we know that something has happened or their daddy just suspects that Montrose is gay. And he can't deal with the fact that his son is less than what he considers a man. That was hurtful. Number one, I was like, dang, George, you've been here the whole time. You couldn't help him out at all. But hearing Montrose retell this story broke my heart. I spent so much time in this scene and so many others crying just to hear the adult Montrose say that he thought he deserved it. I was just like, yo, that's so heavy. And, you know, Letty's like, nobody deserves any of this. But just thinking about the abuse that he endured, the shame and the guilt that he put around himself, how he identified, how he was showing up and seeing his father who was broken too. I'm already thinking, well, damn, how did your father raise you? Yeah, Because we've seen between Montrose and Tick how this generational trauma can be passed down. It's like, when did it start? Yeah. And also, how did George escape that? That's also very interesting when you have people who grew up in the same house mm-hmm. who maybe are not experiencing the same things because George clearly wasn't getting the same level of treatment, but he had to watch it. Yeah. And how did that affect him? And then how did how did that affect how he moves in his family? It's just a lot. And generational trauma has been this ongoing thread throughout this whole show, but... I cannot understate how important it is for us as black folk in the Americas to deal with that. It's not your fault. Big mama, daddy, auntie, whatever did what they did, but it is your responsibility to get to the bottom of it for your healing. Correct. Right. Yeah. And it's so important because it impacts future generations so it's like we cannot continue to allow these things that are negative that did not come from us i don't believe these are behaviors that are native or indigenous to black folks i don't even think that's native or indigenous or natural for somebody to want to beat the shit out of the kid right that stuff did not come from us but it is our responsibility to learn how to deal with things differently so we are not passing this on Because we experience enough trauma and violence outside of ourselves, outside of our families, outside of our communities. Right on. Right. And so when Dora stepped in, I just was like, come on, Dora. Like she was like, enough is enough. Like if ain't nobody going to say nothing, I'm going to say something. Thank you, Dora. And George comes up like, oh, let me give you your corsage. She's like, boy, I'm mad because you ain't help your brother. He said, what you expect me to do? I expect you to do something like you just standing there looking stupid. And and Montrose says as an adult that like George helped him more than anyone else. So he didn't help him in that moment in the way that you would want someone to help. But he was he was his brother who was always looking out for him. The kid Montrose runs away and turns out that grown up Montrose is also (laughs) missing. How ironic. Listen, so Letty and Tick are like okay, we got to go find him. I know where he's at. He's always told the story about what happened at the park. But also, y'all need to get the book. That was the whole point. Y'all came here. So they decide to split up. Letty's going to go into Dora's house and Tick is going to go look for Montrose. And so Letty hot wires a car and they hear gunshots and they have this moment. And Letty is like, we should name him George. 
And I didn't get this part. What did you get from that part? I thought that this was her way of confessing or sharing that she was pregnant. Part of me was thinking, I'm like, you have the spell of invulnerability. So you know that you're not going to die here. I don't know if she thought that maybe Tick might get stuck again or because, you know, Hippolyta could. So it was, this was cute. It was really random. Maybe it'll make sense next episode. Yeah. Now we're following Montrose and we see he's dealing with his demons. Now he's hearing Tick's words about wishing Uncle Daddy George was his daddy. So it's just demons upon demons. He just can't catch a break. So he steals some liquor because like, what else are you going to do? Montrose knows what's going to happen next. So he's like, let me arm myself the best way that I can, which is this liquor. It's dark now. And Letty, I don't understand this because Letty was supposed to just take her black ass directly across the street. I know. She could have just knocked on the door. So she wandering around the neighborhood. And now there's these racist white boys who are harassing her. Mm -hmm. And they call her all kind of niggers and all kind of stuff. And then they start shooting at her. And she took off running in them tennis shoes. And she lands on the lawn of the Freemans. So Mr. Freeman comes out with his shotgun and he's shooting at them. And then Dora's daddy come out next door with his shotgun and they shooting at him. Finally, they get Letty inside of Dora's house, which is where she was supposed to be anyways. I said, let me see these black families strapped up. Straight to pop caps, no discussion, uh, no de-escalation. No. Let's get it. No, they said they got the Dracos, they got the shotguns, they got the 45s and the 22s. What's good? You don't want that. You don't want no problems. And I hate to say this, but I'm like, ooh, this is such a timely message. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and exercise that amendment. Exercise your right to carry. Because these motherfuckers don't give a damn about us. And it also made me really sad because that meant that this was not the first time that this had occurred. No. You know, they were strapped up. They get into the house and Mr. Freeman is interrogating her. Like, who was some people that you was with, girl? And why do I want to, who was some people that were shooting at you? And Bob, they like, let that girl. She, she said, we need to know. That girl was just traumatized. Calm down. So we meet Dora's family. We see Dora. We see she has a sister. I believe her name is Beulah. We see their mom. We see their grandmother. Mm-hmm. Someone gets a phone call. I think it was. Um, Dora's mom says that she was on the phone with somebody and the line got cut and they were saying that there's a mob at the courthouse. Mm, Yep. And all of a sudden there's all these shots and everything ringing off. So it's like an all out war outside. And they're like, you guys need to stay here. It's safe, but we need to leave here. Yes. But we can't leave without the kids, meaning Dora, George and Montrose. That's right. So Mr. Freeman takes his shotgun to go find the kids And Dora's daddy said he's going up on the roof to keep a bird's eye view. And he opens the drawer and it's all kind of handguns. Listen, he passes them out and he gives one to Letty. And that's why I'm like, this is how, you know, they ain't new to this. They true to this because he handed that gun to Letty and assumed she knew how to shoot. Because I think it was just a natural assumption. If you were a black person in that time, you had to know how to protect yourself. Yeah, I can see that. And that is just so sad to me. I'm grateful and I'm happy that they had those skills, but it's sad that you would feel the need to be that strapped up in your own home because people are coming to fuck with you all the time. That's real. So Beulah is kind of been assigned to Letty (laughs) and they're like, y'all stay together. And also something else, uh, Dora's father tells, tells Letty shoot to warn and then shoot to kill. 
that also fucked me up because it reminds me a lot of the gun laws that we have in California, which is like, I owe you some kind of respect when you have encroached upon my space. It's like in California, I believe you can, if someone is coming into your home, you have to shoot them in the front. You can't shoot them in the back because they can't be in the act of trying to flee. So you come into my shit and I have to be like, oh, if you're running, I can't shoot you. And there's also a specific order and y'all can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know. I think it's buck, bird, buck, but you have to have an order of ammo where the first one doesn't kill. It'll only stop you. So, but this is what you expect regular everyday Americans to do, but this couldn't be required of police officers in times of threat. And apparently it's not required of white people when they shoot black people who just happen to be on the porch or in the yard. I want to talk about disparities. So that just really pissed that me off. struck a nerve. Montrose is found by Tick. And Tick originally thought that he was going to warn George so that he doesn't get shot. He thought he was going to stop him. But we actually get there and we see Montrose observing a conversations he's having with another young man who we found out name is Thomas and Thomas was a friend of his at the time and he mentions that everybody knows the story after this encounter with Thomas and not the one before and I said now this was the skeleton that he was carrying my lord Mm -hmm. and then we jump back and we see Beulah talking to Letty and she's jealous of Dora because she's going to prom with George and she likes George too. I said, ain't this just some real sibling goofiness? Listen, this some next door neighbor shit if <laughs> right? I ever seen it. Because she had an argument with Dora before Dora left. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, I'll have time to make it right, right? And Lady knows that they not going to make it. And so Lady just has to be like, uh-huh. Yeah. To Ooh. carry the weight of that, man. So we get back to Montrose and Tick and they're watching this scene in the park and he's explaining to Tick that he had even forgotten Thomas's name. That's how much work he put into suppressing and repressing his memory. He made himself forget it because he said he couldn't just be dead. He had to never exist. It's the only way that Montrose was able to go on. And so Montrose wants to save Thomas because Thomas gets shot in front of him. And Tick is like not only verbally pleading with him, but he's physically holding him back. Yes. Montrose is on the verge of tears. It is hurting him, the anguish, again, acting his whole ass off. Tick is like, you have to think about what you're risking. If you do this, you jeopardize me never being born. All these other things happening. And Montrose is like, I have thought about it. I've thought about the risk. Thomas is just the first in a long list of sacrifices that I made to be your father. He was telling Thomas in that moment that they can't be friends because he's a faggot. So, and I hate the F word, but this is what they use. He was telling Thomas that he couldn't be his friend because Thomas was gay, knowing that he also had the same feelings. Exactly. But he couldn't allow himself to be exposed. Although he was already exposed, his daddy was beating his ass. Right. He just couldn't live like that. And he said, I cut out all the soft parts of myself just to be a man because men have sons. I had to be your father. It's all I ever wanted to be. When he found out that there was possibly a chance that George could also be Tick's father, he knew that it had to be him because he needed it more than George did. George's masculinity was not on the line. Yep. But Montrose's was. And he was saying that can't change you. I can't. 
I have to be your father. And Tick is sobbing. And he's like, you better be sure of that. Girl. When he said he made all these sacrifices, he basically sacrificed himself and who he was and what he wanted to be Tick's father. Although he wasn't a great father, but he made so many sacrifices. And that made me think of the sacrifices of our Igun, our Igungun, which are our ancestors, like our grandparents and our great grandparents and so on. We think about all the sacrifices that they have made for us to be here in this space. Yes. Right. Like it just even our parents. Yeah. To think of our ancestors and our elders as people who had full-fledged lives and ideas of who they wanted to be prior to us getting here yes that struck a nerve yeah this reminded me kind of that quote in the scene shortly after of i am my ancestors wildest dreams i know for myself this was just like straight waterworks. I'm like, if I cry one more time in this episode. And for me, part of it is just seeing black men on screen crying. It gets me every time. Any black man cries, I'm gonna cry too. I don't care if he cry from laughing. I'm crying because it's a black man crying. So. <laughs> and that part about cutting out all the soft parts. Yeah. Like that idea of masculinity that you cannot be soft. There is so much toxicity in that and how he had thought about how he had shown up or how he's supposed to show up as a man. It was, woo, it was rough. It was like Tick's finally seeing his father as a whole being and realizing that, that yes, he fucked up and yes, he was wrong, but he didn't even know the half of the things that his father had experienced and lived through. He didn't just become a monster overnight. Right. To see that acknowledgement I was like, thank God it's dark because I know my man was about to be like, are you crying? <laughs> Mind your business, sir. It was a beautiful scene. It was a lot. And again, they all need therapy. We all need therapy. Right. And like the writer's room, did did y'all have a therapist on staff? Because in the actors, like this had to be a lot. This had to be heavy on set. Had to be. Now we're at Dora's house. Mm. And the chaos is continuing. Letty is now looking all over upstairs somewhere trying to find this book and name. She ain't trying to be quiet. She's snatching all types of drawers open, tripping and stuff. And then Grandmama comes upstairs, who's played by Regina Taylor. And she got a gun. And she's like, what you doing in here, gal? And Letty talking about some... I was looking to get a better shot. No gun in hand, nothing, y'all. Lies. Grandma's like, see, I knew someone right about you when I saw these shoes. I ain't never seen these shoes before. And I knew I wasn't tripping mm-hmm. by noticing that these tennis shoes stood out. Because she sure looked her up and down when Letty came in the house. When she, she first saw them in. shoes, she said, mm. I don't know where she from, but she not from around here. She ain't from around these parts. <laughs> tuck that in. She tucked that little, like a grandma did, she tucked that little fact in the back of her lip. Tucked that in. I'm not going to say nothing. Listen, she was observing. And then you could see Letty pause for a moment and she's thinking like, what's my next move? She ends up just telling her the truth. Basically says that she's from the future, that she's Dora's son girlfriend, and she's here looking for the book of names. She hit her with the book of names. The only book I know is the book of the testaments. All I know is the good book. <laughs> what, what, what book you talking about? And she got that gun. She ready to shoot. She was like, girl, you better tell me the truth. I will shoot you right between your eyes. Okay. Listen. So then she starts trying to give her all the proof. She's like, y'all have a birthmark. It looks like this. She draws it. And she's looking like, hmm. So she says, you came to the past 
from the future for a book. And when she has that enlightening moment and she's like, we die here, don't we? I said, you better be a prophetess. Listen, <laughs> granny says she didn't been on this earth a long time. And something in the water ain't clean. Because why anybody would come from the future back to the past? Now, she understand all this about her great-grandson's cousin has been cursed and we need this book to heal her and all of that. That's that's cute. Um, But really, what's going on? And in that moment, grandma is like, she about to run down the stairs to go save her family. And lady's like, you can't, you can't do that. She's like, I can't just stand here while they kill my family. And Letty explains that Dora and Ethel escape. Dora and Montrose Freeman marry and they have Atticus. She's in love with Atticus and she's pregnant with her great, great grandson. She's telling her, Mm -hmm. like, you don't have a future, but they have a future. And if you go and mess with this, they won't have a future. And that triggers something in her. And we also hear her family calling for her from downstairs as we see flames. And so grandma is faced with this. Does she go and save the family that she knows from uncertain doom or does she save her future her legacy her ancestors and i'm just like ooh, it's a hard one it was a weighty decision yet that takes some type of wisdom and some type of faith to be able to know that you have enough information now to change the course of your present and future but making the sacrifice now would actually be more meaningful mm. than trying to hang around longer. And I just think hate, a lot of our ancestors made that same yes. decision. And I just hate that they had to make the sacrifice. Right. And I think that's probably one of the problems that I have with Christianity. But the whole premise of Christianity is that like Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus paid the cost. And I'm like, he paid the cost for what? Why we got to keep repaying the cost? Didn't you pay it? So it it, it hurts me that. Grandma had to make that decision to sacrifice herself and others right? in order for Atticus and his family and Dora and all of them to live. But she goes behind the door and there's like a hidden cabinet behind a piece of art. And I'm like, damn, Letty, that you didn't check there. Like everybody know, check behind she's the photos. Dresser drawers. You looking through no. panties and shit. Come on, Mm-mm. sis. You think that's where this big ass book is? Somebody panties you are? <laughs> Ma'am. Right. So she goes and gets the book of names and she starts reciting jeremiah 29 11 yes she did she starts saying for i know the plans i have for you declares the lord plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and hope and so she's giving her family a future and hope she tells her when my great great grandson is born he will be my faith turned flesh listen I wanted to get on the ground and wail. Girl, I almost took a lap around the house. She said, my faith turned flesh. Mm -hmm. My God, my God. That makes me feel like I have this responsibility to be all that I can be and not in the army, by the way. But to be all that I can be and to do all the things that I want to do because I am my ancestors' faith manifest mm-hmm. so she hands letty the book and she says she never opened it she was just charged with protecting it she also hands her a slip of paper and says that she'll need this to open the book because the book has never been opened she asked letty to pray with her 
This was beautiful to me because we knew death was upon her. We know that Letty has a spell of invulnerability. And when this originally happened, they didn't have anyone there to transition them between these phases. And I don't know if they did it intentionally, but that was my takeaway to now have the opportunity to relive this, not change the past, but to have someone transition you into this next phase. And I was crying over that too. I had so many church references because this reminded me of like the visual image of the Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, Mm -hmm. also known as a bad bad Negro Negro story (laughs) when you saw Letty with flames being engulfed by grandma, but nothing was happening to her. Yeah. So it was touching. Even retelling it now, like I still feel like I, I could be moved to tears. She's literally holding her hand and it reminds me of like, you know, Precious Lord, hold my hand. You know what I mean? Lead me Lead on. Lead me on. Woo, Jesus. And she's also signifying the importance of someone being there to help our people transition through death, right? Like we know about birth doulas. We know yeah. that there are people who transition us while we're being born. Mm-hmm. But it's also important to to be a witness and to be there when someone is transitioning out of this realm. But I had the privilege and the honor of watching my father transition. I also lost a son. And I think that although it was extremely traumatic, it gave me a new perspective. Like I really, truly understood in that moment that we don't just die and disappear. Right. Like you really understand that the veil is lifted. The veil is so thin and there's something really special about Letty where she has been tasked to do this more than once. Yeah. Not really sure why. Um, And also she's pregnant. So it's not, she's bearing witness, but also like in utero, her child is bearing witness to the transition of its own ancestor. Mm -hmm. It is some deep shit. This this was heavy. I don't know if y'all intended for it to be deep, but it's deep. On top of what was playing while all this was happening. Sonia Sanchez's poem by the name of The Fire was playing. That poem is just everything. She was saying, I say, where is your fire? Can't you smell it coming out of our past? Hey, brother, brother, sister, sister, here is my hand. Catch the fire and live. But this poem, of course, is talking about the literal fire. Right. But it's also resonating with injustice do you see the fire there are things happening can you see it but it's also letting us know that being loving and being joyful and being kind is also a form of rebellion right live 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 she is telling us you have to live you have to live for yourself you have to live for those who were unable to live this scene was just everything this was probably one of the greatest scenes in television that i've seen And we literally see grandma going up in flames and burning. I did not like that part. I didn't either. But just because I was already hurting so much from identifying with tick's tick's trauma, Montrose's trauma, (laughs) and the other particular triggers, I was just like, y'all. Because I didn't think that we needed to see what we saw next either. No. And one line really stuck with me when she said, where is our beautiful fire that gave light to the world? Mm-hmm. Black people, I hope y'all are really understanding this as the love letter that it is. Us recognizing who we are and whose we are. 
our fire that gave light to the world. I just don't want any black person walking the face of this earth to ever think that they are less than. How could you? Right. You can't. And so that's happening, but also simultaneously, something else is happening. Yes, we are watching a white mob surround Thomas and Montrose. You see them literally like hold hands as they're fearful, not sure where to go or what to do next. This is the first time that we actually see them touching like this in public. And you hear this white man yell, nigger faggot. And he shoots Thomas in the head right next to Montrose. Um, Mm -mm. And even seeing the brain matter or whatever spilt on him. I, I don't know what place Montrose went to as a child, let alone as an adult seeing this again, uh, processing this. And you see present day Montrose enraged. He's full of sadness and ticks holding them. Um, Georgia and Dora roll up finally here to come kick some ass and take some names later and ticks like i've heard this story a gazillion times before i know at some point some mysterious man shows up with the bat and beats all these white men to hell and they're like oh shit like we must have done something wrong in the portal because the mysterious man ain't coming up but we notice that there's a bat mm-hmm. near tick and montrose on the ground and it's like am i it, it is tick the mysterious man he is how girl like i'm like i don't think this is just a flaw in the portal i think that this is how it was and i think there are theories that this was how it was from the beginning of the show and i still don't understand i know multi-universes are a thing so i don't understand how it happened Mm -hmm. but i don't think this is like oh we fucked something up i didn't either to me, it reminded me more of like a deja vu. And I interpret deja vus as I I, I am a spirit being. I'm a soul. I've lived this before. I've been here. Mm. You know, this is my jam. So it kind of gave me deja vu type vibes. But I thought it was powerful to see this man's son in his present, his future, his present, come save him in one of the most vulnerable and fearful times of his life. And it's like, I'm hoping there's some healing that can come from this from both of them because it was so deep. And Tick is beating ass for all of his people, past, present, and future. Mm -hmm. He takes that bat and he's going to town. And I need more of this. I need more of this and less of seeing Thomas get his head shot off. Now, this is just my personal gripe. I have a problem with seeing violence inflicted upon black bodies. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I guess we needed to see it to see how it impacted Montrose. But I just felt like there was, there had to have been another way to shoot this. I did not need to see I mean, it caught me off guard. I assumed we were going to see the gun and see the boys and then the camera was going to pan and then we and that didn't happen. We literally saw his head get blown off. One thing that I thought about, especially with this type of episode and what they were revisiting is that they were being intentional about the violence that we did see. Um, And I almost wonder if they showed it because they wanted us to be uncomfortable because because it was uncomfortable. Yes, and I'm all for the discomfort, but I just don't, I don't ever want to see, I don't ever need to see anything violent happen to a black person on screen ever again in my life, period. I 
I'm sure to me, the payoff is just not worth it because there's so many creative ways you can trick because the movies and TV is all about you tricking my eyes and my ears into thinking that I'm perceiving what you want me to perceive. There are so many ways to do that without having me watch it. So that's just my own personal gripe on the flip side. I don't have no problem with seeing him beating niggas ass with a bat. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think your point is clear and made. I just, sometimes I think that, as much as we don't want to see it, some people need to be reminded how gruesome it was. I would have preferred not, though. It was yeah. a lot. And we also have to make sure that we said that Tick told him, Tick told uh, Little George, Little Montrose, um, and Little Dora, I got you, kid, which is what the stranger said in the story that was being recounted to him from Uncle George and from Montrose, and also in the first scene in the first episode of the show yep um so that was yeah but all in all great great scene and then so now we're back on greenwood road i guess we're on the main main street and there's looting and shooting going on on greenwood by white people look at this here it's white people stealing things out of stores and stealing other people's items wow did not know that they did that and you know we're not going to call it looting because y'all call it looting when it's black people they're rioting they're committing full out assault and crime on greenwood and while i was watching the scene i was like are they going to show that the military planes were dropping bombs on it and they did because i needed i was like we got to be correct here it wasn't just like Oh, white people being angry and throwing Molotov cocktails. No, it was a full on massacre. It was an assault. Yes. And during all of this, you have Montrose and Tick trying to rush back to the meeting point because we know they only had a certain amount of time within the portal anyway. Mm -hmm. So they're back at the Stratford Hotel. Tick's bursts into the room. He's calling out for Letty. She ain't there, though. And he's like, I got to go back and find her. And a dazed Montrose is looking towards the portal. And he's like, something's going on with the portal. Like something's wrong. So we see Tick jump back into the portal. Now he's in Kentucky circa 1955. And he encounters a foaming at the mouth, hollering T.T. Hippolyta, Mm -mm. who is declaring that she cannot keep it open. And Tick is like, look, you have to. Letty's not back yet. So it actually looked like the portal closed for a minute mm-hmm. and Montrose was stuck in Tulsa. And I was like, well, that's going to be all bad. Ooh, no. <laughs> and I love this because like Tick's turning into a coach. He's encouraging Hippolyta to do it for D. Um, and then we see her begin to ascend off the ground. You see all this energy transferring between her and the machine. Her eyes are turning white. She's still hollering. Um, and this very much gave me like X-Man Storm-esque vibes mm. while her hair was turning blue. While all of that is happening, we have Montrose in this hotel room as well, right? And he is looking down at the violence on Greenwood Street. And you hear this somber music. We're hearing gunshots and airplanes. And he begins this dialogue sharing facts and information about others that have been impacted by this Tulsa massacre. He talks about Peg Leg Taylor's last stand at Standpipe Hill. 
And we know that this was an individual who's a legendary black defender who is said to have single-handedly fought more than a dozen of the white rioters or looters that night. Come on, Pegleg. We learn about Byers Taylor Shop, how that got burned down. We learned about Dr. Jackson, one of the most notable surgeons and physicians during this time, shot in the face. Um, the neighbor recounted this story. We learn about White Phelps and how he took Negroes in and was hiding them during this time. And while all of this is happening, you're also seeing military planes dropping bombs on this street with people walking, screaming, running for their lives. Montrose cries as you hear this operatic tune in the back. And Letty is casually strolling down this street, girl, holding this book of names, protecting it as if nothing phases her as she's making it back to this meeting point. She's walking through fire. Literally. And she's visibly shaking. Like, I get it. She just literally held the hand of her son's great-great-grandmother bursting into f- flames, right? Like, she she was visibly shaking. Like, it, it it's a lot. And she's walking through these flames, and you see she's determined. She's also sad. She's, like, processing... But girl, you got to get a, you, you got to pick your feet up because Hippolyta's having a hard time keeping this portal open. You just taking your sweet time. And I'm okay. like, you got to mourn when you get there, baby. Like, and also like, she don't know this, but she also knows that they had a limited amount of time. And she knows that Montrose and Tick are already like, she knows she got to get to where she's going. She just not moving fast enough. And I'm guessing this was a directorial decision to keep this shot of like her walking through the flames and like walking out as like a phoenix rising from the ashes who was untouched by the flames. Beautiful mm-hmm. shot. Yeah. But I know me and several other people were like, this, this, we don't need this. It's been a lot of drama and trauma. Don't need this five seconds. I'm going to need her to jump her <laughs> ass through that portal. I've had enough. God damn it. Look, it's enough. Can and you get your foot off my emotions that get it off? <laughs> Because we see Hippolyta. She turned into, um, Arinthia blue. She had the blue yeah, hair. Like again. that too. Um, that also reminded me about how I've been saying that like we are the power source. She's mm-hmm. literally the source of power. Like that is just uh that whole thing when she ray- levitated off the ground, I just mark oh gosh. And that monologue, there have been so many great moments in this show, but I'm telling y'all, if Hippolyta is not nominated for her monologue in the I am mm-hmm. episode, if Letty is not nominated for every damn thing that she's done, if Jonathan <laughs> Majors is not nominated for his face acting and <laughs> his body being on point in the wheelbarrow, I don't know. And if Montrose is not nominated for this monologue where Girl. he's looking out and he is literally recalling the names of these people. And it reminds me of Letty. Mm-hmm. Calling the names of the dead. There's power in that because we also know that he has been working so hard to forget all of this. Right. So the fact that he is remembering because there is power in remembrance. There is power in calling the names of our loved ones. There is power in veneration. And it seems like he realizes that in that moment. Yeah. Um. That is nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing that he can change. Um but he can be proud of where he's from in the people who were there. And um, this just pissed me totally off because I'm just like, these were black people minding their black ass business. Right. And a lot of people, a lot of 
racist people and a lot of people who support racist ideologies will say all this dumb, incorrect shit about how black and brown folks leech off the government and are ignorant and unintelligent and yada, yada, yada. Here you have black people who were not forcing integration. They were minding their black ass business. They were doing everything that you said you wanted. They wasn't intermingling with you. They wasn't trying to sleep with your kids and like raise mixed kids. They weren't taking your jobs. They weren't taking your spots at institutions of higher education. They weren't doing any of that. They were minding their fucking business and you had a problem with it and came and destroyed their whole lives, livelihood, community, all of that. And I think this is also important because a lot of times, a lot of new age black folk will be real big on this whole generational wealth thing, Mm -hmm. which is supremely important, but you can't talk about generational wealth without talking about the things that have systemically occurred to take that away from us. Every single person in Tulsa who every single black person in Tulsa who perished on that day owned something had something that was going to be passed on to their children and their children's children and their children's children all of that was lost in one day gone generations of work generations of knowledge generations of toil all disappeared in one day i think something else that can be said is yes we talk about generational wealth but We've seen the importance of working towards generational healing, right? Mm -hmm. And even if we had that generational wealth due to the trauma that we've experienced for generation and generation and generation, who's to say that that's something we would have been able to continue to hold on to and pass on? Like we just found out even through Montrose, like at some point you got to deal with your shit or it deals with you. Exactly. And that is just, there's just so many conversations to be had here, but I just want black people to know that we are fucking amazing. Like hell yeah, things that we've been through, the fact that we are still here and not only are we surviving, we are thriving. Like, I just don't want nobody to walk with their head hung low. Like there is nothing to be ashamed of. We have so much to be proud of. And I, I love this show for these reasons because It forces us to, or not forces us, but it allows us to see ourselves. Yes. Right. Which is not something that happens often. We see ourselves via this historical lens. And like everybody has a different level of understanding. Some people are like, oh, I already knew that. I knew most of this stuff too. But there's, there's a difference between knowing and seeing, Mm -hmm. right? Visual art forms are visual for a reason. Also the music, right? You, we are, we are being catapulted back in time where we are like, can't nobody tell me that we ain't thought of shit. We ain't invent shit. We not the originators of all it. We see it. We feel it. Um, and so I hope this forces everyone to kind of like do more research or take a listen or, or whatever, but we are just so amazing. And we see Letty finally gets her ass through the portal. Yes. And she, has the book of names with her and the portal closes and tick holds his TT and rocks her. And they tell her that they got the book and that's the end of this episode. So we only have one episode left for all of this to be wrapped up, man. It's a lot. I will have to say that this was probably my favorite episode of this season. Um, just because it was so comprehensive and, I typically when I'm watching this show, I'm like, okay, this is going on kind of long. This, the credits came and I was like, 
that's been an hour. Like it felt like it was seamless. Everything appeared to make sense. It, everything seemed to fit in it. And I think this was just done um, so, so, so well. And um, I know you said it and I agree with you. Ashley was like, I'm so glad I ain't have to go into the office today. Cause honestly, y'all, I don't know if I could have went in the office and dealt with anybody who did not look like me. Like that's oh, how yeah. this made me feel. I know I could. That was like, the first time I watched Rosewood, I didn't even want to go to school the next day. This time, I literally was like, I know I'm going to need to watch this again, but I can't do it tonight. And I said, I'm so happy we in shelter in place. There's no way I'd be able to to comfortably face a white person today. No. And I and like when people are like, why are you angry? We have every right to be angry. And here's the here's the thing that really pisses me off. This ain't some like historical shit. Oh, this happened in the past. Shit is happening today. That too. Right. And a lot of these folks walking around here is Christina's. They walking around here looking like allies, talking like allies, dressing like allies. They're not. And it just makes me feel like, who do you trust? Who can, who can I run to, to share this empty space? Mm. Like, and I think that's why a lot of people call Tick and um, Letty's relationship like problematic and like trauma bonding. But I think that's why I love them so much, because in spaces like this, you're like, who can I turn to? And they have each other. I mean, we could also say that Tick, Tick, Montrose, George and Dora had trauma bonds as well. But there was still something that authentic and genuine that came out of it, like y'all were holding it down for each other because you were all you had down we all we got it made me think of my grandma like I was trying to think like who did I know in my family who was around this age around that time Mm -hmm. and like my grandmother I believe it was born in 1921 my grandmother was also an orphan from Oklahoma at six and so I'm like and my grandmother then had 10 kids and the story that we get in the family is like my grandmother wasn't raised with a family. Mm-hmm. So all she wanted to do was create a family. There you go. And so I look at her legacy at her 10 kids and like my 50 million first cousins alone mm-hmm. and think about how one person, well, not just one. I mean, you know, take two to tango, but <laughs> one person in combination with some other people have this whole family tree that mm-hmm. is proliferated and um, how so many of our trees are like that because our people literally had to start over Mm -hmm. and build something that they either had not seen or were trying to recreate or in George's um, standpoint, trying not to recreate. And it also just really like, we got to give ourselves some empathy and we also have to give people a little bit of empathy because uh, Montrose did not want to be like his father. He ended up becoming exactly that. And that's a tough desire to balance. Sometimes you get lost in not being them or trying so hard to not be them Mm -hmm. that it is inevitable that you become them because you're not necessarily actually doing the work to undo (laughs) what makes them them and how that's impacted you. More than a desire. You got to do the work. It's it's tough. It's a lot. Y'all can ask my therapist. It's a lot. <laughs> but yeah, this was a this was a hefty episode and um we're going to kind of be sad to see it go, see the show go next episode. Um but I'm looking forward to it. I I'm I'm kind of ready for this 
story to be wrapped up because it's just a lot. Yeah, I was thinking that as quickly as episode nine has seemed to get to this point, I do think I need a break emotionally and mentally from from everything. I mean, because the monster in this this time was just pure old racism, right? Yeah. Like it didn't have to be gory. Like this is everyday shit. And you've said it multiple times in this episode. We've said it before. This is still regular shit in 2020. Yeah. Good old American racism, you know. So thank you all for sticking with us. Um, look out for our review on the season finale next week. You can always find us on our socials at NTPWR underscore podcast on IG, not Tyler Perry's writer's room on Facebook, um, bold black moves at gmail.com. Anything you want to say? Nah, look forward to wrapping up the season next week. And I'll talk to y'all again soon. So see y'all at the same black ass time in the same black ass place. Until then, what? Continue to defend, support, and protect black lives. We love y'all for real. Peace.